I have been looking forward to this portion of Genesis that we're going to be getting to since we started talking about studying Genesis. And uh, we're going to start in the book of Isaiah. And I want us to look at chapter 46. If you've been here for any length of time at Grace Baptist, you have probably heard us make reference to this passage. But as we start to study in Genesis again, I want us to get some background on this text by starting here. If God was going to write a book, what kind of book would it be? If he was going to write a book, how would we know that God had written a book? Well, because God is supernatural, it would have supernatural information in it. That is, information that only God could know. So it wouldn't look like any other book. The book that God wrote would be different from everything else. Uh, How would he demonstrate the supernatural nature of his book? That's what we see in Isaiah chapter 46. Let's start reading in verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. I think that deserves a big amen. Just no one like God. Verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, thank you so much for your book. Thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross. And thank you for giving us information in the Bible about that thousands of years before it happened. Lord, we just love you and we're thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. So what do we learn from this passage in Isaiah? The first thing that we learn is, remember the former things of old, for I am God. So here's what we do. The Bible tells us God is commanding us not to forget about history. Amen? Now, how many of you would rather be poked in in the eye with a sharp stick than study history? Honestly, would you raise your hand? Yeah. So this message is for you. Get right with God! No, the Bible tells us that we are supposed to study the things that have happened before. Why? To find God. He, He didn't just appear at Bethlehem. We study what happened even in the ancient times, not just recent history, but even in the ancient times, to find things out About God. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. Don't forget what's happened in the past. Studying what happened in the past reveals the God of the past. And then look at what it says. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Here's the idea. A book written by God, it won't look like any other book. No one else can do what God did. Nostradamus can't do what God did. Amen. Gene Dixon can't do what God did. They can't do it. Now, how many of you don't have any idea who Gene Dixon is? Y'all are way too young. Gene Dixon was a prophet, prophetess, and she would write things, predictions about the future. And you know what she would do is she'd throw a bunch of stuff on the wall and hope something stuck. You know, and then people who really wanted to believe would say, yeah, that, that might be what happened. That's not the way that the Bible prophesies. We're going to see that today. Uh, It is some phenomenal stuff. Then look at what it says in verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. How about that? Declaring the things 
that are not yet done. And then look at what it says. My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So he would write history before it happens. He would do this from the ancient times, and what he has promised is sure it will stand. So what God said in ancient times, that is what's going to come to pass. That's what the Bible says. And we know because it's already happened. We're going to be looking at some of that. But now, what did Jesus Christ say about the Old Testament? Go to John chapter 5 and have your Bible ready. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one provided for you in the pew in front of you. If you don't have a Bible here at Grace Baptist, you're going to be lost. You're not going to have any idea what we're doing. So make sure you got your Bible. John chapter 5. Look at verse 39. Jesus Christ speaking to the Pharisees. And remember, these guys had most of the Old Testament memorized. These guys really knew the Old Testament. Look what the Bible says. <clears throat> Search the Scriptures. This is Christ speaking. Search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. The Bible says, search the Scriptures. When Jesus Christ said that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew through Revelation, had not been penned yet. Now, it had already been written because it was written before the foundation of the world. It just hadn't been written down. That's pretty cool. So here, Matthew through Revelation hadn't been written yet. So when Jesus Christ is telling the Pharisees, search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. He's saying the Old Testament Scriptures testify of me. Jesus said they testify of Him. The Old Testament does. So, man, sometimes when you're reading through the Old Testament and you're finding something that you don't get, you know what you ought to do? Look for Jesus. Look for Jesus in it. Um, look at verse 46. You know what, let's just read the rest of it. Let's just read in between there. Verse 41, I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not honor that cometh from God only? So they get honor from each other. This, they have a mutual admiration society. Oh, Dr. So-and-so. Yes, you're Dr. So-and-so. They're getting their admiration from each other, but they didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus Christ. You know, there are seminaries all over the world that give all kinds of honors, but they do not want to have anything to do with Jesus Christ. Read on. Uh, verse 45. Do not, think that I will uh, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you. Check this out even Moses, in whom ye trust. What Jesus Christ is saying is that Moses will accuse them before the Father. Well, why is he saying that? Look at the next verse. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? So here are guys, they are the most, these were the fundamentalists of their day. They were the most, most devout Jews in the world. They loved the writings of Moses. They just didn't believe them. We've got lots of people today who say they believe the Bible. They just don't believe what it says. That's not a new problem. It's the same problem that they had here. So now let's look at Luke chapter 24. We looked at this last week. Luke 24, just a couple pages back from where you were. 
Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He appears to some men on the road to Emmaus, a couple of His disciples, and He starts teaching them. Verse 25, they couldn't believe that Jesus Christ had died. They were all confused about it. They don't know that it's Jesus that's talking to them. And He says this in verse 25. Then He said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So beginning with Moses and the prophets, He tells them where He was in there. Look at verse 44. So now this is a later appearance of Christ to His disciples. And He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So Jesus said that there were prophecies that must be fulfilled that were written in Moses and in the Psalms and in the prophets. Do you know what that means? From Genesis to Malachi. That's what that means. That's what Jesus Christ is saying. So if you read your Old Testament, all of it is about Jesus Christ. And we're supposed to look for Him and find Him. Remember, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It's just beautiful the way that God put that together. Now, so Jesus said the Old Testament was about him. What do the apostles say about the Old Testament? We won't look at all of them, but look at First, first Peter. These lilies do wonders for my allergies. They're beautiful, though. First Peter 1, 7. This is an interesting passage, Apostle Peter writing. 1 Peter 1, 7. <clears throat> we'll read through verse 13. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Isn't it neat that, that Peter was expecting Christ to return? And he also said that your trouble, your trials are precious. Are you going through trouble right now? You know that's precious in the sight of God? Precious. Let's read on. Whom having not seen, talking about Christ, you love, in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. The world can't understand how we can come and rejoice and sing to the Lord Jesus Christ. I had a friend who came to our church for a little while. He'd come and visit, and he, he still pops in every once in a while. One time he said to me, why do you guys sing so much? Why do we sing? Because He's put a new song in our hearts. Because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Something changes, man. When Jesus comes in, we've got to sing to Him. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why are you happy? I don't know. I had a preacher, somebody said, uh, Brother Hiles, are you happy? He said, don't know, don't think about it. I don't know what that meant, but it was funny. <laughs> you ask me, am I happy? Well, that depends on if I'm focusing on the Lord or not. When I'm focusing on what's going on around me, a lot of times I'm just frustrated and stressed. You know, yesterday I'm trying to side my garage. Actually, I watched Jeff Blackford side my garage. And, um, man, we got done one piece short. I've got to buy two square siding for one piece. Well, you know, it's better than being tortured for Jesus. You know what I mean? My frustration is only because I get frustrated. 
when I think about the joy of the Lord, there is no frustration in my life. Amen? That's the joy unspeakable and full of glory. He's writing to people that are being persecuted for their faith. That's what Peter's writing. Now look at what he says. Um, Verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So what is the end of our faith? Man, we're saved forever. That's, That's pretty cool. Now look at this. This is wild. Verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify... Now listen to this. When it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So here's what he's saying right here. He's saying these these prophets who wrote about the suffering and glorification of Jesus Christ, they didn't have any idea what they were writing. They didn't know. Moses had no idea what he was writing. Can you imagine Moses praying, God, what does this mean? He says, that's not for you. That's what the text says here. It's for us who, look at what it says uh, in the middle of verse 12, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them which have preached the gospel unto you. Look at with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. So now those of us who preach the gospel after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down from heaven, these things about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they're preached for us. Well, were those things revealed in the Old Testament? Here it's saying they were. Now let's go. Last one, and we'll go to our text. Revelation chapter 19. And the passage we're going to read right now is one of the reasons that I have such a hard time with people who believe in what's called Reformed theology. Reformed theology is the teaching that there are two covenants. There's the Old Covenant and there's the New Covenant. We're under the New Covenant. But many of them don't believe in the rapture that Jesus Christ is going to come back and take the church away. They don't believe in a tribulation period. Many of them don't believe in a millennium. If they do believe in the millennium, they believe that we're going to bring it in. They believe that the church has replaced Israel and they take all the promises for Israel and apply them to the church. Here's why I've got a problem with that. They do not believe in future prophecy. They don't believe in that. Here's why I've got a problem with it. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 9. And he saith unto me, this is the apostle John, and he saith unto me, write... Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who's that? That's the church. We're the bride of Christ. We're called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed. Now, here's why, again, here's why I got a problem with all their teaching. They believe that the church replaced Israel. This isn't talking about Israel. All right, now let's read on. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant. So this is an angel, it's not Jesus. 
I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren. Now, let me stop right there. If you know of a religion, even a Christian religion, where leaders allow people to fall at their feet, they don't know who Jesus is. You're not going to come up here and kiss my toe. One of the little girls up here went, ooh. <laughs> not going to kiss my ring. You're not going to bow before me. We might come together and bow before Jesus together. Amen. Amen? Okay, now look at this. Isn't that amazing what you clear up with the Bible? <laughs> then it says, I know many of you are getting ready to kiss my toe, so I'm glad that we corrected that. <laughs> he says, I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. People that don't believe in prophecy, they're not worshiping the same Jesus I am. I mean, that's a problem. That's a problem. All right, so now, all of that was to take us to Genesis chapter 37. And what I'm going to show you in Genesis 37, I really need to do this, especially if you're not normally a part of our services. I had to demonstrate to you before we start finding what's in Genesis 37 that I'm not making it up. Jesus told us it was there. It's our job to go and look for it. All right? Genesis chapter 37. We're looking at the life of Joseph now and how Joseph is a type or a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, Joseph was a literal historical figure. Amen? I mean, he, he was... It's an amazing story, and we're just going to read through this. Keep your Bible handy, because we're going to be looking at Jesus Christ in Genesis 37. All right? Verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger. Drop down to verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. What's the difference? It's the same person. Jacob was the name that he was born with. Israel was the name that God gave him when he surrendered his life to him. So in the Bible, there's a consistent interpretive tool. When Jacob, after he meets Christ, and that's who he met on the ladder, when Jacob meets Christ, after that, God says, I'll call you Israel. When he is walking in the Spirit and fulfilling what God wants him to do, he's called Israel. When he's not doing what he's supposed to do, God calls him Jacob. Now look at this. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. That's verse 1. This is before Jacob went back to Bethel. So he's living in the land of Israel, but he's not living there in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Now, because he's becoming a type of the Father, now He's called Israel. It's an amazing interpretive tool. As you study your Bible, you'll see it all through it. Just one of those little keys. Joseph was a type of Christ. Listen to what one man said. No man searching the Scripture with an open mind could fail to see that whoever wrote Genesis knew history in detail 1,400 years in advance. Let's look at this. Verses 1 through 11 give us background, and it all speaks of Christ. Look at verse 
2. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. So Joseph has 11 brothers. All right? The Benjamin, the, the smallest one, he's just a baby. Joseph is 17 years old. He goes out into the field. He's his father's favorite. And he brings back an evil report about his brothers. Now, here's what we think, tattletale. But no, Joseph was a faithful witness. His father asked him for an honest report. And Joseph gave the honest report. And, the, the, and his brothers were honestly doing evil. Now, let's keep... I don't want to say this again. We're going to keep coming back to Genesis. All right? Go to John chapter 7. Look at verse 6. Oh, well... Look at verse uh, 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples may also see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou doest these things, show thyself to the world." Now look at this. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Joseph is an unbelievable picture of Jesus Christ. His brethren hated him, and he testified of their evil deeds. Now, how many of you already are going, wow, this is going to be amazing. Okay, let's keep going. Back in, in uh, Genesis 37, verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. Now, here's the deal. Do you know who Jesus Christ is? He's the son of the ancient of days. Look at John chapter or Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17 verse 5. Feel sorry for those of you who have new Bibles with the pages sticking together right now. I'm sorry, Matthew 17:5. While he yet spake, behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. Remember what the Bible calls Him? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Jesus Christ, all through the Bible, is called His beloved. His beloved. Jesus is loved more than us by the Father. Just as Joseph was loved more than his brothers. Look at verse 4. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren... They hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Can you imagine? All his brothers, all they ever said was mean things to him. 
That was it. That was it. Look at John 15, verse 24. John chapter 15. He says in verse 23, He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which another man did, they had not sinned. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Why did they hate Joseph? Because Joseph was well-behaved and did what his father told him to do. They hated him for it. He was loved by his father because he did what he was supposed to do. They hated him for it without a cause. Joseph, just like Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Genesis 37. Look at verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. Now hold on right there. This is a wild thing, man. First of all, they wouldn't have hated Joseph if Joseph hadn't, number one, told their, fa their father, about the evil. And they wouldn't have hated Joseph if he hadn't told them about the revelation of God. Do you know when religious people hate us? When we live like Christ and when we speak the words that He's given us from His Word. Joseph, just like Jesus Christ. Now, Joseph has this vision that says his stalk, his sheaf, is going to be upright, and all of the other ones are going to bow before him. Now, how do you think his brothers liked that? They didn't like that at all. And look at what they say. And, and just, just so you know, that is fulfilled. Philippians chapter 2, it says, Wherefore God hath highly, highly exalted him, and given him a name that is above every name, that is the name of Jesus, everything in heaven and in earth and things uh, below the, under the earth, shall bow before Him. That's what the Bible says. Everything is going to bow before Him. And here, He's representing Jesus Christ. But do you know that people do not want to submit and worship? Look at what they say. Verse 8, And His brethren said unto Him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Look at Luke 19.14. If you look at verse 12 for the context. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. That's what Israel said about Jesus Christ. 
We will not have this man reign over them. He puts over the sign, King of the Jews. We have no king but Caesar. We're not going to have this man reign over him. Go back to Genesis. Verse 8 again. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Look at Matthew chapter 26. Verse 64. Then Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witness? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye, they answered, and said, He is guilty of death. They hated his words. When Jesus Christ spoke of the visions that God had given him, of the prophecy that God had given him, they hated his words and they wanted to kill him, just like Joseph's brothers. Um, look at Genesis chapter 37, verse 9. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the Lord? Huh? Or to the earth, sorry. Shall we bow ourselves? Even his parents didn't want to believe what he had said. They didn't want to believe his witness. So now, look at verse 11. And his brethren envied him. And his brethren envied him. Look at Mark 15.10. Are you seeing Jesus? Mark 15.10. Verse 9 says, But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. Same thing. It's the same thing. It's all pictures Jesus Christ. Um, look, at chap look at Matthew 27, 17. Matthew chapter 27, verse 17. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. It all speaks of Jesus. Look at verse 12, Genesis 37, 12. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, So when you see Israel, you know he's going to be in the place that he's supposed to be. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send thee unto them. And he said, Here am I. 
And of course, the Bible says that God sent, Jesus Christ himself said that the Father had sent him into the world. So he sends him. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7. Sent by the Father. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. He was sent by the Father. Then look at what it says. Verse 14. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks. Look at John chapter 3 and verse 17. John chapter 3, verse 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You know, when Jesus Christ came and the Jews hated Him, He had come to do their good, not to hurt them. He had come for good. And when Joseph was sent, He had come for their good. Look at what it says back in Genesis 37. Verse 14. And He said unto them, Go, I pray thee, see whether... It be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came into Shechem. Jesus was seeking their good. Joseph was seeking their good. He was looking for something good. Look at verse 15. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. He was wandering in the field. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 38. Joseph is sent by the Father into the field. Matthew chapter 13, verse 38. Look at verse 37. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. When Jesus Christ came, He entered into this world to come to seek and save that which was lost. It all speaks of Joseph. Let's, let's read on. Um, the man asks him a question in the middle of verse 15. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. He said, He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's Luke 19.10. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. Now look at this, verse 18. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. Look at Luke chapter 20, verse 13. Luke chapter 20 and verse 13. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be that they will reverence him when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. It all speaks of Jesus. It all speaks of Jesus. Let's go back. Genesis chapter 37. Are you all doing okay? 
Some of you look like you're about to fall asleep. All right, let's go to Genesis chapter 37. Look at verse 19. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. You know, they were going to kill him and then lie about his death. You know that today, many people still lie about the death of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ was crucified by the Jews, when he was killed, they lied about his resurrection. They lied about why they did it. And today, people lie about why Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ died for our sins. That's why he died. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, he died for our sins. He didn't die for the good of mankind. He didn't die for the betterment of mankind. Like Robert Schuller says, he Robert Schuller says he died to end our lack of self-esteem. That's not why he died. He didn't die for the brotherhood of man. He died for our sins, just like they died about Joseph's death. Joseph's death. They die about why Jesus Christ died. Then look at what it says. And we shall see, the end of verse 20, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. They thought if they killed him, he wouldn't reign over him. He wouldn't reign over them. Look at verse 8. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. You see, people hate it when Jesus Christ reigns over them. Do you know that we have that same problem today? When Jesus Christ makes demands on our lives as believers, do we willingly submit to those demands or do we defy Him? See, we have the same problem they did. Now, let's go back to Genesis chapter 37. Look at verse 21. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand on him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Now look, Reuben was his defender. Do you see that? Kind of. Look, he didn't want them to kill him, but he didn't want them to reign over him. He wanted to be rid of him. Just like Pilate. Pilate didn't want to kill him, but he didn't step off his throne for him. It's all about Jesus. Let's read on. Verse 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph of his coat, out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. You know, look at, just understand who's in charge in all of this. Go to John chapter 17 and verse 5. John 17, 5. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. When Jesus Christ came, He laid aside that glory. Jesus had already stripped Himself before he came. Look at Philippians chapter 2.
verse 5. Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind in you be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. He lost his reputation. He lost his glory. He laid that aside. Jesus had already stripped himself before he came into the world. But now, look at Matthew. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, verse 28. You look at verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. It's all a type of Christ. Look at verse 24. And they took him and cast him into a pit. They took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. I want you to notice something. Jesus Christ, our sacrifice... What happened when he was on the cross? What did he say? I thirst. And what did they give him? Vinegar mingled with gall. Anything but water. Here, Jesus Christ is cast in a pit where there is no water. Why is that? Look at Exodus chapter 12. Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. Look at Exodus chapter 12 and verse 9. Talking about the Passover feast, verse 8, And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Don't miss that. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire. No water in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's amazing how specific the Bible is. Now, look at what it says. He was cast in the pit. And you know, through the, throughout the Bible, the pit is always death. Through, all through the Bible, you have the pit is death. So here, the, he's cast into the pit. He's stripped of his clothes. He's not given any water, just as what happened with Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse 25. And they sat down to eat bread. And they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead. Now, look at this with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh. What did they bring Jesus Christ at His birth? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold for His deity, frankincense for His priesthood, and myrrh for His death. What did they bring Jesus Christ? What did Nicodemus bring Jesus Christ? I'm sorry, Joseph of Arimathea. What did he bring Jesus Christ at His death? He brought Him myrrh. He brought Him myrrh. Now, look at verse 26. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. And there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now who is it that asks for the price? It's Judah. That's the same name as Judas in the New Testament that asked for the price. But they asked for 20 pieces of silver. How many pieces of silver was Jesus Christ sold for? 30 pieces of silver was the price 
for a grown slave that's been killed. Do you know what 20 pieces of silver is? A young boy who's a slave. The Scripture is so consistent and so specific. The other thing that we see is that murder, look at what they say. Come, verse 27, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. They thought, okay, let's not really kill him. And you say, well, then there ends the type of Christ. Well, in 1 John chapter 3, the Bible tells us that murder is a matter of the heart. When you hate your brother, it's the same thing as murder. It's all about Jesus Christ and fulfilled in him. So what they do is Jesus Christ is raised out of the pit. They took him out of the pit alive is what the text says. Jesus Christ came out of the pit of death alive forevermore. It all speaks of Jesus. And are you ready for this? I mean, we're, we're going to stop right there except for this part. They sell him to the Ishmaelites. Do you think that has any significance? They sell him to the Ishmaelites. Do you know the next time they see him? When he's sitting on the throne. <laughs> That is such an amazing picture of the Lord Jesus Christ because the Jews will not accept Him, Jesus Christ, as their Messiah until He's sitting on the throne in Jerusalem in the kingdom. And then what does He do? He saves His brethren. He saves His brethren. You know, Jesus Christ came to his, he came into His own, John 1, verse 11. He came into His own and His own received Him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. Here, the Jews kill Jesus Christ. That just as his brethren, these Jewish men, they kill Joseph. They send him away. What happens? He saves them. He saves them. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. Isn't that amazing? God is so good and so gracious to us that when we do evil, when we do sin, God turns it around and makes it good for us. For us. Now listen, Jesus Christ did all this for you and for me. You can't make it up. When we talk about the kind of book that God would write, those specific details, I want to read you something about these details. It says this, A hand is at work here that defies scientific explanations and psychological analysis. Somebody has infallible knowledge of the future. Do you know who that is? Do you know who wrote this? Of course, God did. Who wrote it? Moses. Jesus Christ said, Moses, search Moses because you'll learn about me. He's writing about me. Listen to this. How is it that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Paul constructed their writings on his life? You say... Read the account. They, they read the account and picked out the details. But the thing is incredible. 90% of the people reading what we just read have never found the details. How many of you learned something from Genesis 37 that you hadn't seen before? And yet we're, we're to think that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Paul, and, and, and Paul all just conspired to write things about it? No. No. To produce four Gospels and 13 epistles by different authors, they would match 150 details in the lives of historical men who actually lived and died, while at the same time dovetailing them with 48 more prophecies by 10 other authors on the details of one man's life. 
while at the same time avoiding any contradictions with 20 other authors who are writing 100 details of the life of the same man. That's a little too much to swallow. <laughs> That's what he says. The chances of 48 prophecies being fulfilled in one man where they concern a man that hasn't been born yet are 10 to the 157th power. Not counting the 150 similarities recorded in Genesis 37 through 50 in the life of Joseph, there are 48 prophecies between Genesis and Malachi which deal with the first coming of Jesus Christ, and there are 400 that deal with His second coming. The mathematical law of probability here are 10 to the 1,600th power. There are not that many electrons in the universe. A mathematician who does not believe in the infallibility of the Bible a, mathemat a mathematician who does not believe in the infallibility of the Bible is a hypocrite. You see, here's why I went through that. If what God said in the life of Joseph proved to be true in the life of Jesus Christ, and did it, then what He says about you is true. When He says you can trust Him, you can trust Him. When He says that He's with you, He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, you can trust Him. When He says that He will empower you to serve Him, you can trust Him. And when He says He will save your soul, you can trust Him. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life? I hope you know that you have a supernatural book given to you from God with all the answers. Listen to what the Bible says. He's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Right here. You have everything you need. You have everything you need. I mentioned this a minute ago. Are you happy? Do you have joy? Are you so focused on the things of this life that you're missing the amazing gift that God has given you? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. The things that the Old Testament prophets wrote about that they didn't understand but are now given to us who have preached it after the Holy Ghost has come down from heaven, we can have that joy unspeakable and full of glory. So here's the question. Do you have it? Do you have it? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. This amazing truth that we...